The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. I will not wear the mask. I will not wear the mask. I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who fall away. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said... Mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph Lord, in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com and you'll see two videos at the top of the screen. Now, I, I said I'm live. I don't get off on the thing of pre-recording because it'll mess me up all in my introduction there. So, but on the left side of the page is where you'll see Bradley's show from the previous day. You can uh, click on that and play it up until 3 p.m. Eastern, at which time he'll be live in that little area there. And this area right here, uh, yes, we're recording on Tuesday 
And um, so this will be the Sons of Liberty logo here, and I've got somebody making noise in the kitchen in there. Sorry about that. But um, you'll you'll click on, click on the play button here, blow it up on whatever device you've got, and then the bottom right-hand corner you've got an, a Rumble icon. And if you'll click on that, you can join us in the chat on Rumble. We are streaming live to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. We're also on beforeitsnews.com, top of the page there, and dlive.tv at the Sons of Liberty. Um, also, if you want to sign up for our newsletter, you get that once each evening, somewhere around 7 or 8 in the evening. Just put that in right up under where we're streaming live, and you should get that beginning tonight if you sign up for it right now. Uh, also, if you would like to help us stay out there doing what we're doing on Internet and radio and also in the 50 states bringing our Christian constitutional heritage uh, to the people, then uh, there's a donate button at the top of the page. You can click on that and make a one-time donation, or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of Liberty. And then also our store is available, lots of great conversation starters in there, as well as some equipping tools, so if you're interested in that. And we'll have a special. This will be airing um, not this week, so I can't tell you this week what the special is uh, until I get it, but that will be in the archive uh, later on at sonsoflibertymedia.com. Now today... Real quickly, we've had uh, Geo Griffin on a couple of times on the show. Always a pleasure to have him on. And I got to, I got to tell you, Mister Griffin. First, welcome to the Sons of Liberty. Well, thank you. And I got to nice fix to your name that. again. I put two R's in there. What happened with me during all of that? Ah, okay. Now we've got that said. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's great to have you back. And um, you know, before we talked about communism, and then we talked about the um, these nonprofits that were funded at the behest of the president to basically institute communism, to bring in communism. And I ask you back now because I've had a book of yours for a while, didn't get to, to really read it. I'm actually listening to it through Audible, but I do have the Kindle version as well. And it was on A World Without Cancer, and it was about the vitamin B17. And I, I was telling you before we, we started doing the recording here that now, probably more than ever, you wrote that book in 1974. So it's been out there for nearly 50 years at this point, and I'm, I'm sure at that time it may have stirred the waters up quite a bit. Can you tell us a little bit about when you wrote that book, what was the response that you got from readers who, who looked at it? Let me uh, put my brain into reverse here and okay. see if I think back at that time. Um, first of all, back at that time, there were very few, if any, uh, health food stores, you know, we see them on every corner today. But the idea of a health food store was kind of weird. And uh, in Los Angeles, there was only one of which I was uh, aware. So the awareness of the importance of nutrition in the control of uh, chronic diseases was practically at zero. So along come I with this book, World Without Cancer. And not only do I talk about the fact that, in my view at least, and in the research and conclusions of all the experts that I was interviewing and quoting, that um, natural health does not come from a test tube. It comes from nature. And the test tube medicine is really not too good. It might, it's often said that test tube medicine can save your life in the short term. But what they fail to say is that if that is the case, then it takes your life in the long term. And uh, so anyway, let's just say that when I wrote that book, I was in the forefront of, um, of a, something that eventually would become 
a wave and a great debate that even goes on in, in, in greater magnitude today than ever. So there was not a receptive audience. And in fact, I, I, uh, I had a lot of advice from people whose opinion I respect, I respected in those days, not to publish the book as I did. Uh, for those who are wondering what this is all about, uh, the book is about World Without Cancer, the story of vitamin B17. Uh, B vitamin B17 does not officially exist. It's never been declared by the authorities, wherever they are, that this is a vitamin. But the, the doctor who purified it and started to use it in the control of cancer, the curing of cancer, said it was very similar in most ways to other vitamins. And um, he, uh, he said, especially the, the B vitamins. And we already had um, 16 of those. So he said, this should be number uh, 17. So uh, I wanted to clarify that right away, that this was the, the name that was given to this substance by the man who began to use it in the control of cancer. And that was Dr. Ernst T. Cribbs, Jr., uh, working under the tutelage of his father, who was Dr. Ernst T. Cribbs, Sr., who was an M.D., but uh, Jr. was not an M.D., he was a Ph.D. All right, all of that is funny background. The, the really interesting part to all of this is that there were people in, the, in that, uh, that newly developing health food world out there who were very critical of my book, not because of the information it had relating to uh, cancer, the, nature, the true nature of cancer, and the, the chemical pathways by which vitamin B17 uh, worked against it. Not, that was fine. Everybody loved that. Said, this is really highly accurate and well done, blah, blah, blah. But what they did not like is the fact that I had divided the book into two parts. The first part was the science of cancer therapy. And the second part was the politics of cancer therapy. And I, I made the bold statement in the book at that time, that the science is relatively easy to understand. It's the politics that gets in the way, because I discovered, well, first of all, let me back up a little bit. When I discovered that there were, was a political side to this issue, an economic, a marketing side, you know, product side to it, and money to be made in treating cancer in a certain way, um, when I discovered that, uh, I I didn't want to write about it, but I had a, a good friend that kept sending me articles and books and uh, research papers, interviews and stuff. He said, read this and read this. And reluctantly, after a few months, I said, wow, I, I can't ignore this. And it was very controversial, still is, because I was dealing with the Nazis. And uh, now it got complicated because some of this information that I was getting about uh, this group um, was coming from the communists. So I was into a political uh, conflict there. But I found out that uh, these characters are both on both sides. When they were writing about their opponents uh, and all of the crimes of their opponents, they were very accurate and very, uh, you know, very meticulous. But they wouldn't admit to their own crimes. 
And so you had to separate out the truth about the communists often came from the Nazis, and the truth about the Nazis almost always came from the communists. And it's kind of like what we care. see today, isn't it, in our, exactly. in our political spectrum? The left and the right, so-called. It's exactly what we see. Well, this was all new to me. So anyway, I decided that I would write about this history of the origin of the pharmaceutical industry. And that's what it was all about, because that did originate in Germany during the rise of uh, Adolf Hitler. And it was, um, it was done by a cartel. And um, so I wrote about this cartel, the pharmaceutical cartel. It's called IG Farben. It's short for, for IG, uh, see, Interesting Gemeinschaft, I think, which means community of interest. And then the name Farben, Farben industry, was the name given to the, uh, to the pharmaceutical industry, which had its origins, interestingly, interestingly enough, in the, in the dye stuffs industry. So anyway, all of this background, and we get into the Nuremberg trials and the, the chemical and, and so-called health experiments that the Nazis did on human beings in concentration camps and all kinds of hairy stuff. And I was afraid of it because it was so, uh, it was so volatile. But I, had, I finally came to the conclusion that I understood it. I got the history right. And it, it needed to be, that history needed to be told. So that was in part two. And um, everybody said, Griffin, look, you can talk all you want to about the Nazis and the communists. I mean, one group said that. You can talk all you want to about the Nazis and the communists. But um, leave the health side alone. You're outside of your league now. You don't understand this. I had several doctors who I respected very highly tell me that. But look, you don't understand this. I'm a doctor. I've got the training. I understand what, what this is all about. And you are so wrong. And I thought, hmm, I took that very carefully into, into view. And then there was the other group that said, no, you need to publish the, um, publish the health side of this. But leave that that IG Farben out of it, because it is so wrong. And you're going to, dis you're going to frighten people away. They're not, they might listen to you because they're interested in cancer, but they don't want to hear about all this other stuff from Germany during World War II and all that stuff. So I was in a, term a terrible turmoil as to what to do. I bit the bullet, and I decided I'm going ahead anyway with the two parts. Because I felt, I think it was an accurate appraisal, I felt at the time, that once people understand the science of cancer therapy, and it's relatively simple, surprisingly enough, when you finally figure out what all these medical terms and these long technical words mean, if you understand the, the definitions, it, the, the science is relatively simple, and we'll probably come to that in a few minutes. But it was the politics that got people upset. And quite often, uh, I would hear from from people I'd be discussing this with, they say, well, if that is true, Ed, what you say is true about how easy and natural it is to control cancer. How come my doctor doesn't know about it? And see, and therefore it can't be true because my doctor doesn't know about it or my doctor doesn't agree with it and my doctor knows everything. See, this is the mentality. So I felt I had to explain why their doctors did not know about this, or why their doctors disagreed with it. Explain where the doctor's education came from, who financed it, who paid to uh, fund all the big 
universities that teach Western medicine today. And of course, it all that's another story in itself. So I had two books in one. And uh, much to my amazement, the book started to be very, very popular right out of the gate. And none of these objections, not very many of them occurred as, as I was warned. So that's kind of what I remember when I just cranked my brain back to the beginning that I was greatly relieved to find out that um, nobody really uh, disagreed with the, the, uh, the health aspect of it, you know, the science of cancer therapy. Even the critics that, that did not want this story told, who were either part of or greatly influenced by the pharmaceutical industry, which was making a fortune on treating cancer, not on curing cancer, mind you, making a fortune on treating cancer, and that's part of the story, this bigger story. Uh, but even those people who did not want this story told uh, could not uh, object to any of the science that I had um, told about and learned from others, from true scientists. But I, my job was simply to retell the story yeah. in such a way that people understood it. They didn't object to any of that except to say it's not true. Said, well, <laughs> of course it's true. Of course it's true. Here's the evidence. Here's the, here's the, uh, here's the research. Here are the statistics. Yep. It's not true. And, of course, they would attack it on the basis of, uh, I'm not a doctor, or I don't know. It's not true. And uh, if it were true, the doctors would know about it. We're back yeah. to that argument. Yeah. So, uh, that's why I, that's what my mind goes back to. It was, it was a turmoil moment for me because I thought all this time I had spent researching this book was probably going to be wasted. It's going to be attacked by both sides, and I'd be left with a whole garage full of books. Well, you know, I, I'm glad that you wrote it. Here I am, uh, a much young, uh, younger man than yourself, but I, I'm learning from you of what you of what you went through and what you were struggling with. It was whether you're going to put it out. Here I am, 50 years later. I'm I'm learning, so I'm glad you put out the book. Uh, I've learned also from our uh, Saturday morning uh, nurse and nutritionist who comes on with us, Kate Shimrani, because. She had breast cancer, had a double mastectomy the day after the surgery. She said, I wish I hadn't have done it because I read Dr. Gersten's book on from the Gersten Therapy. Uh, we've had Dr. Patrick Vickers, who runs that down in Mexico. He's told me, he said, if somebody comes to us with cancer within six weeks, you know, that's they don't they don't that's not there anymore. They we can we can we can work with most people unless they're just literally on their deathbed. Um, sure. But but they can do that, and they do it through the means that you were talking about, through nutrition. And the vitamin B17, we're going to get into this because I'm going to bring up two words here. <laughs> Trophoblast and natrilocytes. So let's deal, with the, let's deal with this part here first of the, the health side of it. Not the politics, but the health side of it. Tell people, what is a trophoblast? And how is that related to, to cancer? What, what's going on? You say it's simple to understand uh, how cancer is, occurs and then how you can, you can really take care of it. What's a trophoblast and what is a natrilicide? Because i got a whole list of these guys here. Well, in order to make this really useful to the average person, we, we have to avoid getting trapped by the... You can, you can go down the rabbit hole pretty far with some of these technical and scientific issues. The trophoblast is merely a... A, a word that describes a certain kind of, of cell in the body. And uh, as I remember, it's, it's, a, it's a wide category of cells, uh, including what I think they call the diploid totipotent cell. 
Well, none of these names are important, but they're they're part of the embryonic process. They're they're t- part of the of the natural process in which uh, there's a, a growth of tissue. Not only the not only the embryo, which is a rapid explosion of growth of tissue, which has a normal pattern, has a DNA control over it, going to evolve into a baby and all that sort of thing. It's a miraculous, amazing, complex thing. But if you back away and just look at the miracle of, of childbirth, it's it's simple. I mean, the, these cells are programmed um, by the programmer, yes. which is whatever you want to talk, whatever you want to call the programmer. It's It was programmed to produce a baby. Also, there's a program in there that produces a placental cord. And, um, and Dr. Krebs was researching some old literature, and I think it was Dr. Beard, John Beard, uh, which was a hundred years prior to this, said that in his view, I think he was a Scotsman, and he was a, he was a doctor, and he said, in his view, cancer is trophoblast, that's out of control. And uh, I'll come back to that control, because that we get away from the scientific terms and talk about simple issues that's easier to understand. Mr. Griffin, would you say would you say that trophoblast would be kind of like a corruption in a computer file or something like that? Something something along those lines? Would that help people understand no, that a little no, better? Not, I would say that's that's not it. It's not a corruption. The trophoblast is a is a wonderful thing. It performs a service. It creates babies and all of that. So it's not a not a a, a deformity of any kind. It's just it's out of control. Let's jump to that word. And uh, let me, but before we leave, this important to understand that in that discussion, you deal with something called a diploid totipotent cell. That means it's got two chromosomes in it. It's totally potential. It becomes any cell in your body, from ear to eye to teeth, anything. It's a it's a miracle of nature, and it uh, it divides. I think sixteen times right after the. Uh, the sperm and the egg are fertilized, or the egg is fertilized by the sperm. And these totipotent cells that start to divide, and two of them are exactly alike, and then they divide again, and there's four exactly alike, and then there's eight, and there's 16, and three, and there's a certain number, and I've forgotten where it stops. And at that point, they start to differentiate. So previously, they're not differentiated cells. They're all the same, totally potential. And then when they start differentiating, they begin the begin the process of becoming skin or nose or ear or eye. And it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. But you don't have to understand all of that. It's just that you get sort of into these little sidetracks and think, isn't this interesting? Well, Dr. Beard said that, um, that in his view, all of cancer was merely trophoblast, but out of control, not doing its normal thing, but doing something that's abnormal. Now, that sort of gets to the core of the issue of what is cancer. And um, the conclusion of these doctors who were proficient in alternative therapies, including vitamin B17. By the way, the name, the official name of that chemical is amygdalin. Amygdalin, we can talk about that a little bit. But Krebs called it B17. And said that, is that the... um, where was I going with that? But back to this business of control. There's so many things to talk about. <laughs> I want to stay on the track. These doctors concluded that cancer was nothing but the natural healing or 
process. It was nothing to be afraid of. It was, in fact, it's not cancer. It's the natural healing process, properly functioning. For example, if I take my fingernail and I scratch the skin on my hand, I probably scraped off, well, I don't know, maybe hundreds or thousands of little tiny skin cells. Now the body goes to work, da 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 we just lost some skin cells. And the signal goes out, it's a chemical signal and an electrical signal I discovered, amazing thing. But the signal goes out, we've got to replace those skin cells. And we all know that the, uh, every time we injure ourselves, we get a scab, new tissue forms. This is the process, it's healing recovering from damage that's done to the body. And we have these, tend to call them stem cells now. We have stem cells that can, that can trigger that healing process. And the diploid totopendent cells actually become whatever they need to become uh, to heal the injury. So what happens though is after the skin cells are replaced, what happens now? Well, there's another signal that comes into place into play and it's a just it's a stop the job is done you don't have to heal anymore now if the body is deficient in certain nutrients that we would normally expect to get from nature if we were living in a more uh, primitive state we wouldn't be eating you know chemically changed foods we'd be eating raw foods and so forth sure, sure. those chemicals would be part of of this stopping signal. It says, okay, you can go back to sleep now. Your skin has been repaired. But now what if you don't have those chemicals in your body? Now it doesn't have an efficient stopping process. And you get a growth where you have more skin than you really wanted. And it continues to grow and grow and grow. And if it's in the body or the kidneys or any place in the eye, the brain, we call that cancer. What is that then? It's merely a problem that the body has in stopping a perfectly normal and necessary healing process. But once you get that picture, it begins to get kind of it's simpler to understand. There are not there are not a hundred different kinds of cancer. It's merely this failed to stop the repair of damaged tissue in a hundred different locations in your body. And if you look at them all on these cells under the microscope, they all are very much the same. And the closer you get to the, to the placental cells, there's no difference. And that's what the trophoblast cells are. There's so, no difference between those placental cells and cancer of the most varied kind. Where the differences occur is where you go into other, they look a little different in the kidney than they do in the brain. Okay. But the process behind it is the same. All cancer is the same. And now that's the theory that is that I advanced in my book. So the question is that what do we need to do to improve the body's ability to stop the healing process? Mm. So yeah, that's what I was gonna. That's what I was gonna say. Is you're you're saying it's a healing process that just continues on, and it it needs to be stopped because it's already done whatever job it was supposed to do. Is that correct? That's correct. It's okay. a simple concept. Yeah. And you can once you get it in your mind, it's easy to see how that actually plays out in nature. You see these growth, growths that appear on the skin, you can see it, but they appear inside your body, you can't. Usually, if you, if you know enough about the history of the patient, there's been an injury of some kind at that spot. 
causing the body to, to heal. Now, it could be that the injury is just old age, and everything is injured. Everything is losing its ability to reproduce itself. You know, they say that we produce our, every cell in our body gets exchanged for a brand new one on an average of every seven years. That's about right, as far as I could tell. Some take a little longer, some take a little less, and some never really replace. But mostly it's about a seven-year cycle. So there's this natural healing cycle where all cells are supposed to, I think they call it the apoptosis or something like that. It just means they die, and they're supposed to die because they're not functioning anymore. And the body says, okay, bye-bye, good job. Here's your gold watch. Go retire, you know. Go away. And then <laughs> yeah. a new young guy comes in, he replaces that cell, and you're back going again. Yep. And, uh, I like to think in terms of analogies, you know, because uh, it's really simpler that way than getting involved in the technical aspects of it. Sure. Yeah, let me, let me, okay, so let me bring this to you. We had a lady on, <clears throat> and you're talking about some of these kinds of things. We had a lady on by the name of D. Manny Mitchell, and you were talking about injuries and stuff. Now, I don't know if they had injuries to their breast, I mean, Kate, or whatever the case may be, or if there's something else that's going on there. But for D, <clears throat> she just woke up one morning and had a really large lump in her breast. And now she, she, she's not, she's not a believer. Um, but you know, I read to her, I said, well, what did I said, before you tell us what you did, this is what I went to. And I said, can you tell me if this right here had anything uh, to do with, with your healing process of what you went down? And I read from Genesis chapter one, which I think you, you mentioned Genesis chapter one. You also mentioned about the, the making of the bread, uh, the way God said to make the bread. But one of the things it says here, it says, um, and God said, behold, I've given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be for meat and every beast of the earth to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life i have given every green herb for meat and it was so and god saw everything that he made and behold it was all very good and so I, i'm kind of curious because when when i read that to her she she had not read a bible before and she goes, really, that's in the Bible. That's exactly what I went to. I went to herbs. I went to seabaring plants. And, of course, her her thing was she was pushing towards cannabis and a high THC yield, which I want to kind of save and ask you about at the end because I want to ask you about chlorine dioxide, too, and what you think about that. But a lot of this is the process happening because we're not consuming the right kind of things that we sh you were talking about natural. Uh, we, we like to refer to it as just creation-based medicine here. Um, but is it is it really because we're eating processed foods? We're we're taking in all kinds of toxins, and that's what's causing this problem to occur. Well, Tim, I think it's a combination of both. Okay, but it certainly it certainly includes what you just said, and that's the part that uh, most people don't think about. Um, yes, because we have this uh, this cell replacement process going on all the time. Even even young children, healthy very healthy young children still get, get injuries and they have to replace their cells. So that's why one of the reasons why cancer is more rare in the young, young people than old people is because their repair mechanism is more efficient and stronger. But as you get older, you know, your enzymes and all these things start reducing in their ability to produce prodigious quantities or your hormones. And, uh, and then you, Many of us uh, acquire bad habits. We start 
drinking and smoking things that are actually toxic because they make us feel good temporarily, but they're toxic and they destroy cells. And if anybody's had a hangover, I think they know what I'm talking about. That's because cells in the brain and elsewhere in the body have been seriously traumatized. Some of them probably died the night before when everything seemed to be going well. <laughs> but, <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> some of them probably died and the, many of them just got injured and got well again. Well, the older you get, the less often you can do that before suddenly those cells are, are gone and you no longer have the ability to um, defend them or replace them with your natural immune system. But now the other side of the story is that, as you just read from uh, Genesis, um, this planet was created with a wide variety of green things, and we were supposed to eat them. Now, that's not, I'm not taking the position of a, of a vegetarian or a vegan or anything like that, that we're not supposed to eat meat. That's another issue. But it right. is a fact provable in science that those who eat a lot of meat have more cancer. And there's a reason for that. We can get into that later, too. But it is, it's an interesting fact. And quite often, people who go on a strictly uh, green diet, like they do with the Gerson therapy, do very, very well. And um, that's part of this other side of the cycle, which is getting those nutrients from nature that we need. Now, probably the best way to bring this into focus is to talk about this uh, molecule this laetrile or amygdalin molecule. It's a molecule that's been well identified. I don't know the exact date in Europe when it was uh, put into the, into the, uh, into the record of, as an official chemical in IG Farben, by the way. They were the first ones to uh, identify it um, in the pharmacopoeia. Uh, but anyway, it was over 100 years ago and probably more like 200 years ago. But it's well known, and it was used widely in Europe for uh, kind of a panacea for all ailments. It's helped people get well again. There's no mention in the old literature about cancer because there was very little cancer, actually, in, in the old world. Sure. And people died, but not of cancer. They died of other things. Uh, quite often, uh, you know, physical injuries or, or malnutrition and that kind of thing. Anyway, so... Um, so this chemical, amygdalin, is well known, and, um, and it's interesting because there have been a lot of studies done on it, because it is controversial ever since Krebs uh, brought it to the light and started using it in the control of cancer. So a lot of high-ranking institutions, uh, by that I mean you know, universities and medical facilities, have done a lot of experimenting on this, this molecule called amygdalin or nitrilicide, another name for it. And what they found is this. Now, this is going to be kind of earth-shaking to people listening. So listen tight. Amygdalin is a molecule made up of, of four components. Let's see if I can remember these names now, because way back in time. There are two parts of glucose, or sugar. There's one part of cyanide, yeah, cyanide, and one part of benzaldehyde. And they're all locked together in a molecule called amygdalin. It's found in nature 
It's ubiquitous in nature. There's 1,400 edible plants that contain it. You find them in seeds and certain herbs, and you find them in edible fruits and things like that. So it's, it's everywhere. The only trouble is nobody likes them because they're bitter to the taste. So they're not well uh, sought after. They're kind of rejected because, kapui, if you've ever eaten an apple seed and chewed it and let it sit in your mouth and let the saliva act on it, it's very, very bitter. What you're tasting is the taste of amygdala. And so people don't like to eat foods that are bitter. And therefore, the more advanced the civilization is, and the more affluent they are, the more they're able to indulge their wishes by eating processed foods and sweet foods and hybridized foods, like the, uh, the lima bean, for example. It used to be a source, a great source of uh, amygdala, very bitter. But then they hybridized it, and it's still not very tasty by itself. It's not anywhere near as bitter as it used to be, I'm told. So they got rid of the amygdala in order to sell more lima beans. Well, they're and great. Then, if you slap some great some bacon in there, they're really great with that. <laughs> yeah. And things like that. You know, well, the, um, the apricot seed is well known because it's one of the main sources of uh, amygdala today. And if you eat an apricot seed or a peach seed or a cherry seed, anything in the rosacea fruit family, you're going to find amygdala in the seed. It's kind of hard to get at the seeds. If you ever tried to crack open a, an apricot pit, which is the hard covering that includes the seed on the inside, it, you, don't try it with your teeth. You, you lose a tooth on it. You need a hammer to break these things open. And then the seed itself is more like an almond. But bitter as all get up. And so nobody wants to eat these things. Then they decide some, some farmer found a tree in his on his um, backyard there, it was a, a bitter almond, what we now call the bitter almond, but at one time they were all bitter. So we found an almond tree and it was sweet. It's just sort of a, I guess, a mutation of some kind. But hey, this thing tastes good. So they started to graft the branches from this hybrid or this um, mutated tree onto the rootstock of regular bitter almond trees. And first thing you know, he had a whole orchard full of what we now call sweet almond trees. And if you go to the store and you buy almond seeds, that's the only kind you're going to buy. Nobody sells bitter almonds anymore because they're bitter almonds. Right. Not the sweet almonds. But uh, you drive to Northern California, which the first time I did it and started looking, I was amazed where there are thousands of, of apricot orchards up there. And you can drive for an hour and see nothing but apricot trees, apricot trees going by out, outside your car. And you look at the base, and about six inches up from the ground, the, the trunk of these trees has one type of bark. And then at the six-inch point from that forward, it has a different style of bark. It's, I've forgotten which is smooth and which is rough. But you can see where all these trees have been grafted. So through a process like that, Modern man in affluent societies, advanced nations, have, have very meticulously weaned himself off of all foods that are bitter, and therefore he no longer gets these herbals and these seeds and these other things that we're talking about that, that used to have a natural uh, portion of amygdala in them. 
So it's no accident that when you look at the statistics, you find that the more advanced a country is, the more cancer it has. And the most primitive nations of the world where people live off the land, they have very low or practically zero amounts of cancer. Right. Yeah. One of the things that you make mention of in the book is that the poor countries, and I think you were making mention of Uganda and some places like that, and there was a doctor, what was his name? His name was Davis, uh, who had went back, and he was making reference to the fact, uh, I know this is going to take some people's breath out there, but make make mention of the fact that uh, beer, the beer they were drinking was different, and you were talking about the kinds of grains that they were using in making that, but you were saying he was staying on the beer side, not looking at the vitamin or the nutrient side of what was going on that kept that low. And so with that said, what I want to do is, because of the time restraints, we've got some idea about about health, the health part of this, the um, the science part of it that you've talked about. Of course, people, I'd recommend that you go to, to World Without Cancer. You can, you can get the book there. And then also I'm going to have this list up here. These are the neutrilicides. These are the things with the B17, different fruits. It tells you whether they have high or low or medium sides, seeds, beans, nuts, sprouts, leaves, tubers. Um, and, and it shares some of that. So I, I kind of want to put that out so people will be able to to look some of that up and what they're, what they're wanting to put in their bodies. But this comes to another question. You were talking about IG Farben um, going and discovering this, and I find out a lot of these companies, what they do is they find out, here's a real thing that could help people. We're not going to put that out because we can't make a lot of money on that. We're going to develop some kind of synthetic, this, that, and the other. So let's get to the political side of this. Who are the ones who are out there who are stirring up this cancer racket. We, we hear you need to have this march for breast cancer, and we have to raise these funds for cancer research, and this, that, and the other. And it seems to me that you did the research, and the answer is a lot cheaper, uh, a lot better for the people, and comes from the creation, rather than going through and you know having hundreds of thousands, millions of, millions of dollars in R&D and, and all of that, and then selling it at a, at a tremendous cost to the people, and it's not really healing them. It's actually making them more toxic in the process. So who are, who are the ones who are kind of pushing this stuff? And obviously we know they're doing it because they love money, but who are the ones who are doing some of this? Can you name some of the people for us? Well, sure. There are certain cartels involved in the pharmaceutical industry. And the fact that pharmaceutical industry itself is really focal point of it, but there are some names behind it. Uh, Rockefeller is one of the most obvious ones when you get into the old research. And uh, before I get into this, uh, Tim, may I just say one more yes, thing? Yes, please. Because I dropped a little bomb earlier, thinking I would get back to it, but I never did. I want to get back to it now. I said that the seeds have, or amygdalin, when, when it breaks down, has, has cyanide in it. Now, that's important to focus on because that, it's a fact, first of all, and that fact has been used by the opponents of natural cancer therapy, the opponents of amygdalin or vitamin B17, to scare people away. But why would you ever take something that's got cyanide in it? Don't you know they kill people with cyanide? So that scares people away. It's a beautiful ploy. What they don't say is that how do I summarize this? There are a lot of things with cyanide in them that are not toxic. Let's take uh, vitamin B12, for example. It's called cyanocobalamin. That's the technical name for vitamin B12. Why? 
because vitamin B12 contains cyanide. But notice I said it contains cyanide. It is not cyanide. And this is true of many, many uh, compounded chemicals um, that you combine certain elements and molecules together. That One of those components may be toxic, but in combination with other things, they are not toxic. It becomes something else. It becomes a molecule like cyanocobalamin or vitamin B12. And what is perhaps deadly poison to you in one form, in the other form, is necessary for you to live. Yeah. It's essential. So what they don't tell you is that the cyanide in this molecule is absolutely inert and will not harm you until, here it is, until it comes in contact with an enzyme. And the enzyme is called beta-glucosidase, in case anybody cares. I, in my book, I call it the unlocking enzyme. Because when it comes in contact with that enzyme, it unlocks the molecule and releases these toxic components. Cyanide and benzaldehyde is equally toxic, and the two of them together are murder. I mean, they're really toxic. Well, we, so, you know, we've talked about that before, Ed. We've talked about almost anything can become toxic if you have too much of it. I mean, water is good for us, but you can consume a bunch of it. And we had a recent story. Some lady had something going on in her brain because she drank so much water in a short amount of time. So anything yeah, can become true. that way. That's 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 for sure. But I'm I learned from Kate. They eat my apple seeds out of every apple. Uh, for the for the B seventeen uh, benefit of that, so I do it, and I teach my kids to do. It. I was teaching one of my daughters that I said, "Here, try this. See what you think." I kind of think it tastes, I don't know, something earthy, almost like a flower or something that gets in my mouth. But I I would prefer a bitter something over a sweet something any day, any any time. But oh, I wish I were like that. <laughs> I still got the sweet to it. But uh, anyway, so what you said is true. Anything in excess can be very damaging. But in this case, it's uh, even uh, more interesting because uh, it's not that it's an excess. It's something else. It comes into contact with something which causes it to disassociate and release. And, and I said that the molecule, or rather the enzyme, is called beta-glucosidase. Now, we get to the, to the key of this thing. Where do you find that molecule or that enzyme? Because you don't want that at the same time you're eating any of these foods, right? Well, now here is the amazing thing. That enzyme is found in cancer cells and only in cancer cells. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It's a, it's a miracle of nature. It had to have been designed that way. And if it's our folly if we don't know about it or if we do things to prevent that natural relationship to unfold. Yeah, whatever our problem is, it seems like what the Creator has done, I believe He's the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever He's done, He's made the solution for it within the creation. This is this is what was so fascinating to me about learning about the endocannabinoid system in the body and, and our need for, for those kinds of products too. And what we find out in there is the same thing we're finding out about what you're saying here. The guys who are trying to make all the money have pushed that out, and they want it made illegal, and they don't want people to be able to get to those things so that they can be well, and then they want to sell them their snake oil. They want to say that's the snake oil, but they're lying to us because they're listening to the father of lies. So I, I yeah. see the whole thing there. I, I really yeah. do. Well, so that's necessary, I think, to understand, because now we get to the bigger question. Yep. Who is behind this? Yes. Who's doing it? Well, it's really simple. The pharmaceutical 
pharmaceutical cartel. It's that simple. Of course, they're the ones making all the money. One of the biggest industries in the world is treating sick people, especially cancer, uh, people dying of cancer. Um, what I mean, how many times do we know in our own life experience that somebody's worked hard all their lives, they've saved the life savings, they get ready for retirement, and one or both of them develop cancer, and they spend all of their savings buying chemotherapy, radiation, and all these exotic therapies. They'd never buy any any seeds or anything because that's toxic, you know. It's got cyanide in it. But they'll <laughs> yeah. spend hundred thousand dollars on chemotherapy, which is terribly toxic stuff, and never worry about it because it's prescribed. And maybe even their insurance company covers it or part of it. So the answer to your question is it comes from those who make the money from not using amygdalin or natural cures. By the way, that's not the only one. There are a lot of other things that are very effective, and uh, but none of them are endorsed by the pharmaceutical industry because you cannot patent something that's found in nature. And the pharmaceutical industry makes its money from the huge mark, markup between a substance that they make for four cents or five cents and sell for $500 and something like that. And I'm not exaggerating some of these ratios. It's amazing the markups that uh, they make. So naturally they're going to promote the business model that makes the money for the corporation. If, uh, if you or I were uh, hired as a uh, CEO of some m drug company and uh, we started marketing, uh, herbal concoctions that uh, made no money for us or very little money. And those herbal concoctions cured cancer. And we, we would have to give up our $5 billion a year income for chemotherapy or other cancer treatments and try and make it from a $20 a year uh, product that's found in apricot seeds. Well, we'd be fired because that's not our job. We, it's a business model. The pharmaceutical industry does not make its money from curing diseases. It makes its money from treating diseases. So once you get that clearly in mind, everything falls into focus. Follow the money. Yeah. Now, let's talk about that for a second, because not only do we have the pharmaceutical companies working, but we do have a fascist kind of thing going on here uh, in which government is also protecting the pharmaceutical companies. We see that. Now with uh, the FDA reports that they, they wanted to keep hidden for 75 years so nobody know what was in the Pfizer trials and all their shots and this, that, and the other, we see them protecting them not just in the, these COVID shots. We see them in the development of all these cancer research and drugs and things of that nature and saying, well, if they have a certain, if they meet our certain threshold on this, then we'll say they're safe and they're effective. But really, when you start looking at it, they never show that they're safe or effective, any of these kinds of things that they're putting out. That's right. It's a, it's a gimmick. It's a, it's a lie, first of all. They're neither safe nor effective in most cases. Or if they are safe and effective, you have to ask what metric was used to determine their safety. And uh, it's shocking what you find out in most cases. It's complete uh, uh, skullduggery. I mean, they, they distort the data. They use words that have different meanings than what we would think they mean. And by effective, for example, it's quite uh, common for a pharmaceutical company to show that um, 
if you use a certain concoction of theirs on the treatment of a disease, let's say cancer, and statistically you can show that 1% of the people lived a little longer before they died of cancer, then you can say it was effective by 1%. It's 1% effective, but you can still put on your label effective. Now, they don't all, that's part of the, of the trick. The other part is they don't say that it's um, 50% or 60% effective in shortening your life. They don't, yeah. they don't talk about that yeah. part of it. But the, so they can use the word effective if they can dis- show any um, little tiny amount of improvement. And even that, they often they cheat on the statistics to come up with that. So we're dealing with a totally corrupt industry. And uh, you mentioned the word fascism a moment ago. And then you spoke about how the government comes to the to the uh, to serve the pharmaceutical industry. Well, that's the classic definition of fascism. Absolutely, the merger, the merger of government and corporations. So yes, you, you nailed it right on the head. This is medical fascism. Yep, yep, I totally agree. All right, we we've got about a minute and a half here, and I'm kind of wondering. I'm going to ask you: Would you be able to stay five or ten minutes? Because I'd like to go into just a little bit more and let you speak a little bit more on that political side. But if you've got something you've got to do, that's fine. We'll close it out here. Well, I think I do okay. have to get moving. Okay, that's no problem. Here's what I want to do. I want to tell people, just so that they can go and they can get a little more on it, this is uh, this is the book we're talking about, World Without Cancer, the story of vitamin B17. I'll have the link. I'll drop it to you guys in the chat as well as in the archive. And then, Mr. Griffin, if you would take time, tell people a little bit about where they can find out more about you. Oh, my goodness. Well, <laughs> find out about me. There's not much to find out. But I'm everywhere on the Internet because of all the books I've written. I think the best place to uh, find out about me is in, uh, well, let's start with the, uh, with the commercial site where we sell things. Most of our sites, we don't sell anything. Uh, we just give away information. But we'll start with the, with the place where people can buy the book or other books and videos on topics like this. And that's uh, realityzone.com, realityzone.com. And there you'll find World Without Cancer, The Creature from Jekyll Island, you know, uh, all of all of the books that I've done, plus uh, ninety nine other books and and uh, videos. Oh, thank you. That's it from other authors as well. It's not just a uh, pet outlet for my own stuff. Yep, I got about ten seconds. Yeah. Okay, and the rest will go to redpilluniversity.org. dot right. Learn all about that. That's where we're trying to change the world. And okay. Make a All right. Thank you very much. Hang on, and I'll say goodbye to you right after this. Guys, catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And Lord willing, we'll be back with you in the morning, 6 a.m., bright and early. Adios.